Welcome, welcome again to another rendition of WTF Interviews. My name is Sir Royce Brialis, and I'm with my prestigious co-host, Dr. Ryan Young. How's it going, brother? Everything's well, man. How are things on your end? Ah, man, no complaints over here, man. Just saw a beautiful sunset. I don't know what it is about sunsets in the fall, man. Something different outside. But, uh, yeah, it's a beautiful day, man. Uh, and I'm also pleased to announce we have a special guest, uh, Dr. Scott, Dr. Scott Garner. How's it going? Good. How are you? Uh, pretty good, man. No complaints over here. There you go. <laughs> yeah. So uh, first question we normally ask Scott, or Dr. Scott, uh, uh, how many kids you got? What are their ages? And also, uh, what do you do for a living? Okay. Well, I've got two sons. Um, Kyler is my oldest. He's 19. Um, my youngest is 16 years old, Keaton. And um, I am a psychologist uh, specializing in developmental delay, which is a, a type of um, neuro, um, neurological condition, um, mostly in autism, spectrum disorder, sensory processing. Oh, that's interesting. So what, what made you get into that field? Well, my, um, I started off wanting, when I entered into college, I wanted to go and get an MBA in um, business management of all things. But um, I had got my high school girlfriend um, pregnant and um, found out that our son was later uh, diagnosed with um, Asperger's, which is at the time was, you know, a, a milder form, a higher functioning form of autism. Later on, the uh, DSM-5 just kind of looped it all into ASD, autism spectrum disorder, but I was able to change my major um, second year college to be able to go into psychology because I wanted to understand more about the condition and understand a little more about what what maybe I could do, um, not just you know educationally. Maybe I could pick up some understanding that at the time in 2002 there there wasn't as much information, and the rates were around um, one in 150 kids. Now it's one in 54, I believe. So at the time I was trying to, you know, gather as much information intellectually that I could to kind of try to understand what what I could do to, to help him and his needs. So that's kind of where my uh major changed. Okay. That's interesting. You said so it was one in every hundred and fifty-four kids, but now it's one in uh, what was the number again? I'm sorry. At the at the time, Kyler was diagnosed. It was around 101 in 150, and um, you know, later on, my other son was born, Keaton. At that time, it progressively started growing. Today, it's one in 154, and that's just in children in general and boys alone boys are four times more likely to get autism than girls. So mm. the rate with boys, it's pushing almost one in 40 that we're wow. seeing in, in today's rates. And that's, uh, you know, by the CDC, some um, numbers are lower than that, but I'm just going off th their data, you know. So why do you think that is? Why do I think that is? Boy, if I had the answer to that, I'd probably have the Nobel Peace Prize. <laughs> um, uh, that's a good question. Why do I think? I think there's a, actually, there's a, I've done a lot of research. Um, I'm an associate uh, member of the Autism Research Institute. So I go over a lot of data. We look at a lot of things. Uh, but we actually think there's an environmental factor. We think that there's genetic reasons. And, um, you know, we, we look at the, the whole, you know, it's, they, they talk about autism being with the spectrum. So it's kind of like understanding what we, the exact cause, we don't know 100% sure. 
We know that mm -hmm. on the uh, human genome, there are certain genes that can show off of an increased factor, but um, it's, it's, I think it's a conglomerate of different things, you know, on the spectrum. Just as we call it the spectrum in autism, there's kind of like a wide range of things that we believe environmental, heavy metals, um, you know, I'm not going to try to go off into the conspiracy of vaccinations, but some people look at that as a possibility um, by, you know, not, not as much vaccinations really being the cause, but by mm -hmm. the fact that uh, back in the older days, the, the, the kids were vaccinated at a higher rate without any uh, downtime. So, and what I mean by that is um, boys' immune systems aren't as strong as girls are. So there's a brain barrier. Now, I'm trying to get too complex here, but there's a brain barrier. And if they get too many, um, you, you vaccinate a child like too many vaccines too quickly without mm -hmm. any time to rest, a lot of times they don't have the ability through that brain barrier to uh, be able to handle the uh, vaccines and to be able to progress normally. But, you know, my son had what we call regressive autism. And what I mean by that is uh, he started off, my eldest son was normal, what we call classic autism. That just means, you know, they show the signs of it. My Youngest son had regressive autism. So he was doing, hitting all the milestones to about 18 months. Then he had some vaccines and developed a low grade fever, we called the pediatrician, and they said to give him some Tylenol. That they said it's a common thing. Well, at the time, Keaton had a vocabulary of around 45 words, and within a week to a week and a half, 10 days, he went nonverbal. And he's been that way ever since. So I'm not yeah. saying that the vaccines did it, but I think it may have played a part in his case. But no, if, if I knew the answer as to what caused it, I would, uh, I would have, I've helped a lot of parents out over the years, but I would have helped a lot more out in my yeah. own understanding. Yeah, I think even telling that story is um, going to help a lot of parents because um, we have to make those decisions. Like with that, when my, through my experience, they tell you you got to do these certain amount of shots by these, by these milestones, and yep. uh, never the never the explanation of why uh, they have to do it. It's just they got to do it. They got to yep. catch up. Sometimes even uh, get multiple shots at the same time. That's what so, that's what happened with Keaton. He had. Yeah. Um, he had the MMR, he had a hepatitis shot, and the chickenpox shot vaccination all yeah. at the same time. And I just think, you know, this is my uh, personal opinion, not professional clinician opinion. I just think it was um, too much, you know, for his body at 18 months old to handle, you know, all, all that. And um, not, I'm not an anti-vaxxer in any way, shape, or form. I just try to tell parents that, you know, don't be afraid to tell, you know, your pediatrician to, to spread it out a little bit. It's, it, it does, he, he doesn't have to have everything done in, a, you know, a, a two-month spread of time, you know. There's a, hepatitis, there's two ways to get it in the, uh, when, you know, the 24 hours they give your child a hepatitis shot. Uh, there's two ways to get it. Normally, it's IV drug use, which you don't see kids shooting up in the neonatal unit or sexually transmitted. Yeah. And so I think a lot of times it's something that they really shouldn't try to push the vaccinations on too quick, especially when they're newborns and, you know, they're still developing their immune systems. But uh, as far as what causes it, you know, the, the jury's still out on that. But that's why we still research and we still study, you know, my, both of my kids are in uh, case studies with universities to where 
we're we're trying to learn more and you know we reach out to other parents with kids like mine to try to get a a better understanding of the condition mm-hmm. and to uh, utilize you know our understanding to try to figure out someday we are going to get closer to what the what the cause and, and what to do to lessen the numbers. So what do you think, um, like going through this uh, experience has taught you about yourself and taught you about being a father? Oh, wow. Well, I'll tell you what, uh, it's reinforced my faith in Christ immensely because uh, if I had a nickel for every time I've been told, you know, Scott, I don't know how you do it, I would be a multimillionaire. Maybe not as rich as Jeff Bezos, but pretty close. <laughs> um, and it's really in it. It's taught me a lot about, you know, growing up as a child and how much you know my parents um, always taught me to, you know, no matter what, what kind of adversities you get dealt with, you just have to face them. Keep your chin up. Don't give up and believe in yourself. But I think the biggest thing is they taught me, you know, later in life when my parents passed, they they knew that I was not giving up on those kids and I was going to do whatever I could to give them the, the best possible life that they could, you know, possibly have to where, you know, they were family was a big thing in the way my mom and dad brought me up and, and with religion and, and the love that they instilled into me and upon me, I was able to pass that along to my, my boys. And I think that's what changed my whole forethought on parenthood. And mm-hmm. even though times were tough, we got through them and, um, it made me a better man in the long run. Yeah. So man, that's a, an amazing story you got. Cause it sounds like, um, a lot of what you do professionally has helped you also at home. Um, so walk me through the process of, uh, you know, having a child that is autistic, uh, and, uh, after you got the diagnosis, like what were the steps you guys took after that? Okay. The, the first thing was getting the diagnosis back then could take six months. Now you can get a doctor's appointment because, you know, with a pediatric neuropsychologist, you can get an appointment maybe in four weeks. When my sons were first diagnosed, it was almost six to eight months just to be able to get in to see a doctor that even focused. That's how, you know, back then there wasn't as many doctors that worked in that field. So it was a lot, took a lot longer. The diagnosis now, we're able to diagnose these kids a lot earlier than than when my kids were, you know, diagnosed. But when once they were diagnosed, you have to have assessments done for speech. And they have to make sure that it, if their language uh, developmental situation is because of hearing, you have to have hearing tests done because it, it could be hearing loss, not necessarily a language barrier. They just might not be able to hear what's going on. There's a plethora of different tests that you have to do neurologically, physically. You, know, you have to have their brain um, scanned with, you know, CAT or MRI to see what parts of the brain are firing. And that's one thing that's came a long way is the imagery. Um, being nowadays, we're able to look at the imagery of the uh, child's brain and, and see if the front, frontal lobe is firing correctly, the hippocampus, the uh, amygdala, as to where back then it wasn't really as known as it is today but when it goes into what goes into once they're diagnosed you have to get them into therapy the most common therapy that we utilize today is called aba therapy applied behavioral analysis 
there's there's also other therapies that you know I can go into later on, but um, that's the prominent one that's utilized as the first resource, and you want to get the child into that as soon as you get the diagnosis of autism. But the thing about it is, is some parents choose to mainstream school, you know, with their kids. So the child has to get services either through the school or if they do decide to go into private therapy, it's out. You know, it's not in a brick and mortar, you know, a public education. It's a, a private therapy practice. And there's a, there's a lot of cost with insurance. Not every parent can afford the cost to send, you know, the child into uh, ADA therapy or, you know, especially at the time my kids were diagnosed, uh, it wasn't covered by traditional insurance. As time has progressed, we've got more uh, legislation passed as lobbying in Washington, and we've got more insurance companies to uh, to accept that uh, type of therapy and um it pays for a lot more than it did back in 2002. okay and um i know you were saying just to get the diagnosis used to take like six months just to get an appointment with the with the doctor yeah it mm -hmm. was uh, it, and that was on you know i know in in our region where where we live, there were only two doctors that that uh, did that type of testing, and you know in northern Indiana here, the doctor that did it had to come from Chicago, from the University of Chicago, had to mm. come, and he was only able to come to our region twice a month. And when mm. you think about when you know when I was telling you about the numbers of how many kids. Um, have the condition and they're only allowed you know allocated like two times a month to be able to come down here because they have other places they have to go you know um so it, it took a long time to get to get the diagnosis and then once you get the diagnosis you got to start working on the therapy and at the time there wasn't a lot of um applied behavioral aba clinics open in the region or around the country for that matter so mm -hmm. You know, you may, they, there may only be one place that sort of, you know, that does that type of therapy and it might be 50 miles away. Mm. So at the time when I know Kyler was uh, a young child as a baby and, you know, a toddler and the closest place was 40 some miles away and they're wanting you to take them there daily. That almost mm. takes uh, uh, the parents the whole day up just yeah. to get them to and back from therapy at that time and uh, it, you talk about stress it was very stressful stressful but um you know it's uh it's it's the type of sacrifice you make for your when you love your child and there's no um there's no boundaries or there's no distance at the time i thought you know it's a lot of gas it's it's a lot of wear and tear in your car, but that's you want to do what's best for your child, and you go above and I know, speaking for myself, I went above and beyond I, what a lot of people could handle, but mm. um, I just kept my focus, my faith, and my conviction that I was going to do the best I could for them, and I I tried to adhere to to that same ideology to this day. I know earlier you, you talked about your parents. Um, could you yeah. talk about your relationship with your father and like, uh, certainly he was. My father was just a very, um, he was like my moral compass in understanding how you know, my, my dad wasn't the most educated man. He only had a seventh grade education, was barely literate, but um, he was very hardworking man. Got a job in Knoxville, Tennessee, working in a bakery, um, making 
think starting out at a dollar ten an hour, but um, he worked his butt off, and he always, you know, he had a he had a joke that he always said, "I never ran out of dough," <laughs> because making bread, he never ran out of dough. But you know, talking about with money, he never ran out of dough. He had plenty of dough. It was the money. It was kind of short at times. But my dad was almost. He was a moral compass to me. He taught me uh, a lot about you don't have to have a uh, – he was proud of me to go to, to, to school and to college and to graduate high school and to, to be able to uh, see me graduate uh, with my doctorate. And, um, but uh, the, the main thing, he was my, almost my best friend um, because – when you go through times like that that are tough and um you really need somebody to talk to at, you know as a father yeah. he was always there and he was, he always listened good days and bad you know he was a phone call away and uh you know you miss him but i tell you what he was my uh my father was my northern star, you know. He was that he was that light at night when you you sit and you wonder, how am I gonna get through this? How am I going to handle that? You know, you look up. He was that northern star, just like the the wise men, you know, with Jesus. They guided them that way. That was the way I look about my father. So, um, with your dad, um, man, your dad sounded like he was a great dad uh, to yeah. be around. Uh, so, uh, what was some of the best advice he gave you uh, growing up that you could think of? Wow. Um, best advice he gave me was always believe in tomorrow. Because you may not think that things are going good today, but he always said, Scott, you got to look at this. Tomorrow, there's going to be another sunset. There's going to be, just as today, there's going to be another sunset. Tomorrow, we're going to have another sunrise. And everything's going to start over again. Don't go to bed holding anger or, or holding resentment. Because life's short. And if you hold on to resentments, negative energy it carries on and he goes tomorrow's another day you got to live for tomorrow and and don't let this get you down because you're strong he goes you're going to be able to handle this and a lot of times when you hear that i thought to myself yeah that's easy to say dad you know because uh i'm really going through a lot right now and you know but when you get older, and, you, and my son's 19 years old now, starting his first job, my oldest son, and, and I, I see a lot of the advice that my dad gave me that I give Kyler. And, yeah, my dad always instilled in me, tomorrow's another day. Even though, you know, you're, 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 you may have it rough right now, but don't give up because I'm not, I never gave up on you. And you don't want to give up on them. And he always instilled in me the love of Christ and the love of family came, you know, he would take time off of work just to be able to sit, you know, we talk about football, to be able to watch a football game together, to spend time, to, to go fishing, to, um, you know, just to spend time with, with us, with, my brother, my sister, and I, and to be a father and, and to be there and not. The main thing that I always respected about my dad is that he was a straight shooter. He didn't try to, he didn't try to make things, you know, seem like it wasn't going to be easy, but he said, you just got to keep hope, got to mm -hmm. keep your faith, and you got to realize that tomorrow's another day and not to give up. Mm -hmm. You have, like, a really interesting uh, 
like life, you know, um, the stuff right. that you're, that you're, uh, that you're talking to us about is like really like inspirational. It is. I, 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 um, I tell you, it's, um, it's, it's one of those things that if you hadn't, if, if you didn't live it, you would almost think, my story would be in the um, fiction section yeah. <laughs> because yeah. it, it's, you know what I'm saying? It, it, a lot of, it's, it's hard for a lot of people to be able to wrap their minds about around it. But uh, I tell you what, uh, it, it has been one of those things that um, living it, I wouldn't, I wouldn't change being the father to my children in any way shape or form it's been a blessing yeah can you talk about um like when you i know that you said that you were just starting um college when mm-hmm. girlfriend pregnant so being yes. like a young man and venturing out into school and everything um uh, can yep. you talk about how it was when you got the news that you were going to be a dad oh certainly well you know i when I started, I uh, graduated from Ball State University in Muncie, Indiana. Um, starting out in school, every I thought, you know, the world was set for me. I thought, you know, hey, I'm going to get an MBA. I'm going to go into business. And, you know, I'm going to work for a big company and make big money. And and I, I had a lot of, you know, typical dreams of an 18-year-old that graduated and um, started life in in college, but um, I fell in love, and um, you know it was one of those things. It it, it wasn't planned. I wasn't. Mm. Nobody goes in situation like that saying I I want to get my girlfriend um, pregnated at 19 years old. But yeah. you know it it happened, and um, I told myself and I told her, hey, we're not going to, uh, I'm here for you. I told her, you know, I'm not going nowhere. And, um, and we stayed together and we got married and, um, I kept going to school. It took me 13 years to, to graduate college. Um, but I didn't give up. That's like I said, when I said my dad instilled that into me not to give up. And it was difficult, especially finding out not one thing is finding out you're going to be a father at that age. But then when you have the news of uh, that diagnosis added on to the complexity of being a a young father, still in college, uncertain about the future yourself, and then having a, a little one knocking at your door. And then you hear the news of autism. Boy, that is, it's a shell shocker. It was to me. But, you know, you, you look back and, or, you know, in retrospect, as I look back, it really shaped me. It molded, it molded my, um, molded my future, molded my instincts, made me a better person, uh, more wisdom. I, uh-huh. I made me listen more. Instead of thinking that I knew everything, I realized that I really didn't know anything. I, but mm. I started realizing that if I if I listen more, I'll learn more. One thing my dad did tell me was, I'll never. One of the most important things I have to add this real quick. He goes, my dad was a very soft-spoken man. I use what they call one of the quiet ones. He wasn't a very uh, talkative individual a lot of people use the word he mumbled a lot but my dad always told me said you have to learn to listen to people because that is what instills wisdom is listening it's not you he goes scott you're not going to get a degree in wisdom from college you understand and you get wisdom from listening and learning and the experiences that you deal with in life on a long-term basis. It's not something you're going to be able to take a class in, Wisdom 101, get a bachelor's degree or whatever. Don't work that way. Wisdom's something that 
you have to you have to learn in life. It takes time. It's mm. that's one of the most important things I think my father instilled into my heart and into my psyche that kept me going on good days and bad on a daily basis. Yeah. Wisdom one on one is a lifelong course. <laughs> yes, and you know it's never ending. Yeah. Because just when um, I've never, it's, there's an old saying, the day I'm going to stop learning is when I'm six feet under <laughs> because every day is a learning experience. It doesn't matter what degree you have on the wall or how many initials you have behind your name, you know, it, uh, it, it is a lifelong process. And, and that's what I think a, a good father instills that into their child is the, you know, that, um, Wisdom is a learning process, and learning is something that's lifelong. Yeah, that's, that's very true. Yeah, so Scott, or Dr. Scott, I had a question for you. Uh, before I booked the call, I asked, uh, what does fatherhood mean to you? And uh, you had a real good answer. I want to read it to you. Uh, so you said... Yeah. Uh, Fatherhood, to me, is the most special journey one can embark on. It gives the ability to share life, love, and wisdom, like you were just saying, while learning the meaning of devotion. Yep. So, can you expound on that a little bit more? Certainly. You know, when, especially with Keaton being nonverbal, it's 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 not like you can just sit down and have a conversation as you can with a typical child a 16 year old you know but with with growing up and watching him prosper and make the achievements and the the goals that uh the accomplishments that he's made and especially when you're told sometimes, you know, I was told he would be in an institution by the age of seven and he wouldn't be able to live at home. And, we, uh, you know, we I surpassed as not me, but us as a family, you know, we surpassed that. We got through the rough times. He's 16 years old, still at home, doing good. Um, I'm able to take him out in public, you know. And uh, even though he is nonverbal, we have a we have a way to communicate. It's kind of weird to say, but it's we uh, we communicate through the heart. It doesn't have to be words, because we communicate through our. I can communicate through the eyes. I can communicate through our soul. I can communicate through our heart, and I communicate through our love. And um, that's what. I think, you know, when I wrote that, I, I was really referring to is that love, love and, you know, is you don't, you don't need words to understand what true love is and devotion and compassion and caring. And, and that's what uh, he's taught me, you know, over, over the course of these 16 years. But you know what, like I said, I, as every day goes on, I still learn more from him and he still learns more from me. And we work through the tough times together, and we embrace and love the good times together. That's good stuff, man. Like, what, what you just said, it made me think, um, well, about, like, the, the next question that I want to ask. So how do your sons interact? Oh, I tell you what, they are, like, the best of friends. And a lot of times people tell you with autism that they don't show a lot of emotion. Mm. I just, I, I, I don't concur with that. I disagree. I think that a lot of autistic kids have that emotion there. There's just not a lot of people that have open enough heart to see that, mm. that uh, compassion and love. Um, for instance, I'm going to just give you a quick story by my oldest son, Kyler, started a job at a, uh, a local pizza place down, down the road. And he was so excited, started the job yesterday. And um, I told him, I said, Kyler, I said, um, you know, I said, You're, I have faith in you. I said, don't, don't get overwhelmed. 
I said, I've already talked to him. I said, I told him not to throw like 10 different things at you at the same time. Because mm -hmm. the way autistic kids like to learn mostly is like one thing. They get that one thing, they learn it great. But if you overwhelm them, overstimulation, you know, with processing, they can shut down at times. And um, Kyler, I told him that and his first night went great. When he comes home last night, kind of emotional talking about this, my, my youngest son loved French fries just loves french fries and kyler gave keaton a big hug and goes uh he goes listen little bro i got you hooked up on fries because you know they they serve fries there and uh it melted my heart and but keaton keaton knew what he was talking about because he hugged it out kyler goes bring it in bring it in bro and to see that with the, the two boys, it's it's amazing because a lot of people will tell you, oh, they have this conception of autism. Well, just because you've seen one child with autism, guess what? You've only seen one. Yeah. There's different as the day is long. And um, to see the uh, the caring, Kyler, his old, Keaton's older brother, Kyler, is he. He's a, a great big brother, but he, I mean, he knows, if anybody knows the struggles of autism and what his younger brother's going through, it's it's him because he's got a, a higher functioning, you know, he's higher functioning, but he still has the same condition. So he he's a good self-advocate when it comes to um, explaining about the condition. Tyler's been very uh, insightful for me as a mm. clinician and as a father explaining to me how they think and when it comes to other parents when I have to they call me up and say yeah I don't know why this is going on I I have a little deeper insight into autism because I've not only just learned about it from being a psychologist but I've learned it from being a father with two children with it because I don't I don't get to clock out at eight o'clock and go home I live with this 365 one-fourths day a year. And um, that's one thing that I it's made me so, you know, understanding with the condition is because it's not something that you can just clock out when you're a parent with a child with this. You don't just clock out and go home like a nine-to-five job. You know, it's always there. It doesn't go away. But the relationship that my boys have is – it's great. It's it's just something you have to. Even though that Keaton doesn't have the verbal um, cognitive ability to speak and to uh, relay his words of affection, you can see it in his actions, in in his mannerisms, and um, it's it's special. It's it's one of those things that um, it really brings your family. It's the glue that holds your family together when you go through um, adversities and tough times and things like a lot of parents, you know, have dealt with this uh, disorder. Um, but it's been um, great watching them grow together, you know, not just growing physically, but growing mentally and intellectually mm -hmm. and, and to be able to um, watch them play video games together, you know, and a lot of people wouldn't think that, you know, um, like with Keaton's situation in his um, cognitive understanding, think that he would be able to play Mortal Kombat and take on his brother, being nonverbal. But he he likes to whoop his brother's butt on the video <laughs> games, even though he can't rub it in his face. You know, when he does, and say, "Ha ha, I got you." <laughs> but they they have an awesome relationship and. Um, yeah, it's great to watch. It's been awesome being being here and watching them grow together. No, that's great, man. Um, I don't know. I keep thinking about like your your whole story, and it's it's like you life gave you, um, I guess, an obstacle or a challenge, and you you tackled yeah. it and developed like from that. You got like the whole career and a different understanding of of what you do on a on a day to day basis, and, and that, that's awesome. 
Um, well, you know, I, I kind of looked at it this way. Um, mm-hmm. When I was done all this, you know, I look at it as um, you can take adversity and you can dwell on it and dwell on the negative, or you can try to turn it into a positive and say that I'm going to take this adversity and utilize it for the better and not dwell on the negative because all negativity is going to do is bring you, it's going to cause depression. It's going to cause hurt. It's, it's, it's not healthy mentally, but Mm. if you take the, negativity or the adversities that are thrown your way and you say how can I readjust this to try to make somebody's life better how can I readjust this and and look at this from a different perspective not from a negative perspective but from a positive perspective and I'm not saying that uh, you know you want to take you know like somebody diagnosed with cancer how am I going to make this positive i'm not alluding to anything like that but i'm saying that sometimes the brightest stars are found in uh, the cloudiest skies you just have to have that ability to look through look through the clouds to see them and um and that's the way with my i feel with my kids you know i was able to look through the adversities and the negative the things that a lot of parents had um, nervous breakdowns and divorces and, you know, all kinds of uh, depression and institutionalized. Some parents couldn't handle it. And uh, I, I took a different approach. I took an approach that said that, uh, you know, this is God's will. This is what he's changed my, my life to deal with now. I'm not going into business anymore. I'm not going to get an MBA, but I'm okay with that because I'm going to, I'm going to uh, do the best I can to learn about not just autism, but about the human mind. And it gave me a better understanding about Alzheimer's, and about other uh, conditions, about mm-hmm. depression, about anxiety, about uh, mental disorder. And, and I was able to uh, join um, other groups and sit on boards for Mental Health of America and help so many other people, which, you know, at the time I had no thought of going into mental health when I thought I got the world by, you know, the strings. I'm going to get an MBA and I'm going to make big money and, you know, but uh, I would have never been able to understand how to adjust my future if it wasn't for the advice that my dad gave me as a young boy at you know six seven years old and and telling me before I even had kids he was subconsciously telling me you know you don't know what you're going to deal with because my dad came from a poor background he was uh he had uh 15 brothers and sisters of siblings mm-hmm. one of of mm-hmm. uh, he was 16 kids my grandmother had. He was one. This was back, you know, in the Depression era. There wasn't much money. He grew up with a hard life. You know, they, they didn't, he didn't have a silver spoon in his mouth. He worked his butt off. My, my grandfather owned a, a little land, um, about 40-some acres. They raised hogs, chickens. Uh, corn, you know, they grew corn, they soybeans, whatever they could, you know, do that my grandmother canned vegetables to make it through the winter, you know, mm-hmm. um, carrots, beans, whatever they had to do to put down in the cellar so they had enough to get by on. And I think his upbringing, upbringing as a child and his, the things he dealt with in life, and the advice he gave me really helped me when I became a father and I faced some tough times myself because, you know, whenever I thought, boy, I'm, I'm having a rough, I don't, I could think back, what, what did he have to deal with when, you know, he's got all these brothers and sisters and they only have so much breakfast because, yeah. you know, there, there wasn't always a lot to eat, you know, 
he wasn't starved, but there wasn't a whole lot of second helpings to go around. So I was able to take the advice he gave me and look at the adversities that I had to deal with my kid's medical condition and say, you know what? Just because you, you may think you have it rough, somebody else out there may have it worse than you do. Yeah, that's true. So I, I know we're getting close to time. Um, I have one last question. Certainly. So, um, like looking back at the you know the past hour that we've been uh, communicating, right? Uh, you spoke about your dad a, a lot. Um, what would you want like your family and the people closest to you to say about you about your legacy when it's all said and done mm. for you? Um. I think the main thing I would want people to realize about me is that um, I, I didn't think I would have all the answers and I knew I wouldn't. That's why I'm still learning to this day, but that I tried and I instilled every ounce of compassion for, you know, the love that was give to me as a child into my family today and in that I I never really given up and I'm not giving up anytime soon. It's uh, it's like um, with, with everything that you deal with with autism, you, you, fi you figure out t 10 years ago, I, I knew some things. Today I know a lot more, but I know tomorrow I'm gonna know more. And I'm not going to quit learning, listening, loving, and understanding. And, and um, the, the main thing I like people to understand about me is that um, it's not about how much, how many zeros you have after you're on your paycheck. It's not about money because you can't take that with you. But what you can take with you when you surpass this life is the experiences that you're able to pass down to your kids and mm -hmm. the and the the joy of being a father and the time that you have to spend with your kids is precious. There's anything that I would tell fathers that new fathers is that um Understand that life's short and cherish it. Spend, spend the time with your kids. Get to know them. And not just as fathers, but be their friend. So if they do need to talk to you, they're not afraid for any repercussions. That they can open up and say, Dad, can, can I talk to you about, I'm having a problem with this girl. I got a crush on her but she don't really like me or, you know, and, or, or dad, I, I took the car out last night, you know, or, or whatever, you know, it, you don't want your kids to be afraid of you, you know, to tell you how they feel. You have to have that heart. You have to have that bond. And um, if you have that with your kids and you have that open line of communication, you're going to find out your kids are going to end up in a better place because they're going to be able to communicate with you. You're going to have love, you're going to have compassion, and you're going to have that family bond that's hard to break. And um, that's, that's basically the, the, my ideology, you know, when, when it comes to family and how I would like to be known and what, and what I'm still learning on a daily basis with my kid's condition. That's great. That's great. Yeah, this has uh, been one of my favorites, man. Uh, I, I would uh, qualify this as one of the Hall of Fame episodes. Dr. Young, okay. do you concur? Yeah, it's a Hall of Fame. Take <laughs> <laughs> it in the rafters right now, man. This, this has been great. Uh, I, I guarantee you some people out there uh, right now that are listening that uh, have these similar experiences and uh, don't know where to yeah. go, don't know where to turn. People are using Google to really educate themselves, but uh, right. like you've you've been through it even before like the internet was really a big thing. So yes, like to, yes, I have. 
to learn the way that you did and to to make the impact that you already have, like it's it's uh, been amazing hearing that story. And uh, I think this will be qualified as a, a story that you can turn into a movie. Like I would I would like to watch this as a movie too. Like it's it's a real good one, man. So I appreciate you for sharing this. Awesome! It's been a pleasure. All right, so uh, Dr. Young, did you have anything else before we wrap it up? Oh no, no. Uh... No other questions. I just want to uh, thank Scott for coming on and, and sharing the story with us. Yeah, we appreciate No you. problem. I'm glad that I'm able to share my life experience and my story and, and what, you know, um, what I've, what I've went through, but um, it's, it's uh, been great um, sitting here, giving you uh, the, the history of, of what I've dealt with and it, look forward to uh, maybe in the future uh, talking again yeah well let's talk right now we're gonna uh, have a little post game so don't hang up so uh, okay. <laughs> so for myself for Sir Royce Fialis for uh, Dr. Ryan Young and for Dr. Scott Garner uh, thanks again for listening to WTF interviews and stay tuned for further announcements alright thank you perfect man that was good and I stopped recording. Yes, yes. Sir Royce here. And I want to thank you again for listening to WTF Interviews. Leave a review as it helps more people like yourself receive the message. Also, consider donating to Welcome to Fatherhood. It's a nonprofit that myself and Dr. Raheem Young created to help dads showcase their superpowers to the masses. You can do that by going to WT Fatherhood. Dot org. Again, gratitude and be well. You already are.